the China ban also demonstrates the resiliency of the Bitcoin network and the Bitcoin mining network. As long as there's one computer running Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin won't die. So we've effectively created this like new life form that's going to far outlast all of us and, and probably humanity. Hello there from Austin in the great state of Texas. How are you all? This has been a very long trip. I'm going to be heading back to the UK in a few days. I've been away for two months now and I've been missing my kids so much. So I really need to get back home. But it has been a great trip. It's been great to see so many of you catch up with some friends and go to some amazing events. So talk about Bitcoin, but I need to go home. I need to recharge. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Nick Hansen, where we're going to be discussing the resiliency of the Bitcoin network. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. And as you know, I'm a massive football fan. There's nothing like a weekend where Liverpool win and Tottenham lose. It sets me up. It sets me up for the week, especially if I have laid some money on it. Now, Sportsbet.io doesn't just cover football. They also cover tennis, motorsports, US sports, and they even have esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Okay, let's talk about Exus Wallet, who I will be using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as many of you know, UX is super important to me. I'm always going on about it. So when Exus reached out to me and said, Pete, we want to sponsor the show. I was like, okay, cool, but I've got to play with the app. And you know what? They crushed it. The experience is so good that I am happy to recommend it to my friends, my family, and of course you. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, let's talk about Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, with the Bitcoin price high this year, I know some of you have been making some great gains. And with forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for your Bitcoin to be lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. You see, a Casa multi-sig wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And you get to distribute these wallets into different locations, protecting you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, you can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Okay, on to the show today, and I have Nick Hansen, the CEO of Luxor Technologies on. Now, as you know from the ads, I am back mining Bitcoin with Compass, and Luxor is the mining pool where I point my hash power. Now, I've loved getting back into mining, and I had a bit of a nightmare with this back in 2017-18. But after my recent chat with Harry Suddock, I know I wanted to do a little bit about pools and the recent hash rate migration from China, and Nick was the perfect guy for the job. Anyway, hope you enjoy this one. If you want to join the discussion, you can hit me up on our Telegram group or you can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Okay, on to the interview. Morning, Nick. Morning, Peter. How are you? Doing great. So the last couple of times I've done this, I forgot to record. We've okay. had to go back and we've had to do it again, but we remember today. Okay, big morning. It is. Here we are in LA. We're in LA. Uh, okay, we're probably going to run for about an hour. 
Okay. The Bitcoin price was 61,500-ish yep. when we started. What do we think? Under, over, by the time we're done? 64,200. 64, so you're going over. You think by the time we're done this interview? Why not? You think we'll go 3,000? Why not? All right. I so mean, it, snap of the finger. I'll tell you what, 50,000 sats. Do you okay. want to, you, you I don't even know how much a sat is. Let's do it. 50,000 sats will go 62,500 under or over. I'll take either. Okay, I'll take over. I'll take under. All right. Sweet, man. Sold. All right, we'll check the price at the end. We'll get Pete over there to, right. to keep an eye on the price. Uh, big morning. Like, we've had a rough couple of months with Bitcoin. Certainly. Certainly have. Mining has been, uh, been in a little bit tough, but we're still, you know, we're, we're still out here we're put, putting these blocks together and making sure the thing keeps going. Well, we should introduce you to Certainly. everyone. Yeah, you're Nick. You're from Luxor, my, the mining pool I use because I'm back mining. Absolutely. Welcome back. Um, I mean, mining is, mining is the salt of the earth. That's what, that's what, you know, all of this is built on is the ability to produce blocks, change the, uh, change the state of the, of the Bitcoin network uh, every, you know, approximately 10 minutes and uh, off we go. Well, I wanted to talk to you. I did an interview with Harry Suddock. Recent. I listened to it a couple times. The man, man is brilliant. Well, what was it he said? The uh, remittance companies are kneeling on the throats Throat. of the internationally, internationally disadvantaged. Yeah. Do you know, he just, he just rolls those out. I was like, when no, did no, no. He certainly sits at home on Sunday night with a glass of cognac and just thinks of things. Hey, uh, you, you calling him out? No. I'm gonna, he, he's a brilliant man. Yeah, he is. But he was talk to, talking to me about Paul's and he said something interesting, which I'm going to come back to you. Because okay. he said to me, he thinks... Uh, the pool fees trend to zero, mm -hmm. and uh, pools end up becoming service providers. But right. we'll come to that. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about pools. Okay, not too much because like it's kind of boring. It's kind of boring. Yeah, I mean it's good business for it's you. Good business for me. It's good business for Barry. But uh, but yeah, it is a little bit boring. There's a lot more interesting things in mining right now. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to find out a bit more about like how pools work. Uh, when did you set up Luxor? So I'll give you a super brief intro to Luxor. So Luxor was originally founded in 2017 as a nights and weekends projects between me and my original co-founder, Eddie. And during that time, we were mostly just building something completely unrelated to mining. We were actually trying to build like a decentralized S3, uh, like the, the storage thing that Amazon provides. Um, that didn't work, but we found uh, that there was this one altcoin that we were interested in that had um, all of its hash rate on one pool, like 99% of the hash rate was on a single pool. And so we decided, let's figure out how to make a, a mining pool for this other coin. And um, that's kind of our, that's how we got started. And then over the year, you know, over a couple of years, we had launched different types of pools, uh, culminating in Bitcoin in, uh, in late 2018. Um, and then finally, you know, I went full time. My first full time day was July 1st, 2019. And we've been off to the races ever since. Wow. Okay. So I don't, I don't know what's involved in, uh, we get lorry. Get a little bit of acoustics from the yeah. lottery. Um, I don't know what's involved in setting up a pool, but I can yeah. imagine the difficulty at the start is having enough hash rate so you are you are actually hitting blocks. Because if you solo mine, my five S nineteens, if I solo mine, I probably never never mine a, a block. So your challenge at the start is to have enough hash rate mm -hmm. for people to want to join your pool because you are mining blocks. So. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's a really good point. Getting off the ground is, is tough, but um, if if we use the payment methodology that Luxor uses, uh, when miners join our pool, it doesn't really matter if we find blocks. We have to front the payments. It's called paper share. So, um, 
maybe this is a good segue into kind of how a pool works. Yeah. But um, so the way the way mining pools work today mostly is uh, it, you can think of it very similar to a lottery. You know, uh, guess a number between one and a thousand, uh, and if you get the right number, you win a thousand bucks. Every that means in that in that scenario, every lottery ticket is worth one dollar, right? So it has an expected value of one dollar. Right, so um, you submit your tickets to me, and I pay you a dollar for them. Actually, I pay you ninety-seven cents because that's how we make our fee. Mm-hmm. Um, but you keep submitting them, and then eventually we get the ticket, the winning ticket, and then we cash it in, and then we keep the thousand. Right. So sometimes it takes more tickets, sometimes it takes less, but on average, we find the you know the exact number of tickets just due to um, the statistical, the probabilistic nature of mining. Um, and so, all that's to say. Um, as a miner, the way pools work today, it doesn't really matter um, if the pool is finding blocks as long as you're getting paid. Um, so we started with that methodology from the start because we feel it's the most honest and true way to pay. Um, like PPLNS is a different way where uh, all the tickets are grouped together. And then once the winning ticket is found, um, then everybody that submitted tickets gets the proportion. So in this case, um, you know, in the case that I was describing before, um, say we find the lottery number on, num- on ticket number um, 10, you know, we take those 10 tickets and we group them up together. You submitted four, I submitted six. I get 60% of the reward and you get 40. Um, in that case, it's actually quite easy for the pools to inject um, extra tickets that, are, that were not actually like, purchased in this, in this rudimentary example. Um, and in that case, you do have to be, make sure that the pool is mining blocks consistently. So that's a little bit about how pools work. Um, it, it's all pretty, it's all just like, it's, it's, all, it's all mathematical um, and it makes it pretty easy. Yep, it's all probability. So. So, so some pools do it whereby the number of blocks they mine, they take the Bitcoin, then they you know, take their fee and they evenly spread right. it out to everyone. Mm-hmm. But you guys, you already agree up front what you're going to pay. Right. Yep. So in some ways it sounds like, it sounds like you're not so much of a traditional pool. In some ways you are renting my hash rate. Yeah, so you can think of it as purchasing hash rate. Um, the mining pool is the single buyer and then all of the, the miners are sellers. Um, and so we, we have pioneered this idea through uh, another property that Luxor owns called Hash Rate Index. Um, and that tracks the value of hash rate over time and basically is demonstrating um, what the mining pool should be paying for your hash rate at any point in time. So um, hash price today is up. It's about 42 cents per terahash. So if you submit one terahash to us for a day, um, you'll get 42 cents. Obviously, your, your machines do quite a lot more than that. Um, you know, so you're getting you know, a, you know, 550 um, terahash times that, that, uh, that hash price, and that's about how much, how much you'll get per day. But did you have to hit like a tipping point for that to work? Because yeah, yeah, because I'm thinking like like I said, if I if I solo mine, I know mathematically at some point right. I will mine a block. But that could be I don't know if it's years or decades away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I say, bought more miners, that you know, the chance increases and I reduce reduce my risk. With you guys, I'm assuming there's like a certain tipping point you had to reach whereby you were. Ensuring you're going to mine enough. Yeah, so that's. I mean, that's certainly uh, that's certainly a risk of of getting into mining pools. Um, So we, you know, we started as altcoin pools where the the stakes are much lower, right? Uh, We started on a coin that had a market cap like one five hundredth of Bitcoin, which in that case, you know, a a single person like you know, you know, me and Eddie could fund what we call we call it funding the PPS, meaning we are willing to put our money. We put our money up front, and you know, we know we believe in our pool. We're going to mine blocks eventually, uh, and then 
people started to join the pool. Um, you know, we started offering services on top of the pool. It attracted more and more customers uh, at this time to an outcoin pool. Uh, but the idea is still the same is that we were, you know, we, we started with a much smaller stakes. And then when we got to Bitcoin, we already had a track record of, um, you know, producing blocks on other, on other chains. And, and so when it came time to mine for Bitcoin, um, you know, we had that experience. We also had a bit of a bankroll. So that made it quite a bit, um, a little less scary, but still, you know, very scary. And you, you're mining, I'd love to know a bit more about this. So you're mining blocks daily. You, you, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, but when you first started, was it kind of like a case of just sitting there like, are we going to get one? Yeah. Like ring a bell? Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and when it, you eventually do, you're like, oh shit, great. Holy shit. We holy got one. shit. We got one. We did it. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. So in them first days, like, was it like one a week, one every yeah. couple of days? Um, it, it could be one a week. Um, and then you could get super lucky and have a couple of days. It's pretty wild. Um, so yeah, so getting getting started off the ground that that is pretty crazy. But um, but we're off. We're past that now. And kind of you know, hearkening uh, to to Harry's um, you know the, the view that Harry had about mining pools eventually going to zero. Um, we we view that you know right now the way you should think about hash rate is actually as an asset itself. Like the the value of your hash rate changes over time and has some value at every point in time. You know the public markets we we you know we see Marathon and Riot they get valued based on the amount of petahash they have, not actually as much about the Bitcoin that they produce. Um, that's more of a um, how do I say? That's more of a subscript to the overall hash rate production that they get, uh, and they get a very attractive multiple on the hash rate that they produce. So. Right now, what we're seeing is a bit of a decoupling from the hash, the value of the hash rate to the network and the value of hash rate to the market. How much hash rate do you guys have? Um, our, across all of our mining pools and um, our, our partners, about five-ish exahash. And what does, what does that mean? So it's, about, it's, 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 a little, it's a little under 5%. Okay, but you've got up to a little under 5% of the yes, total hash rate. Yeah, that's between pretty, us and, other, and, and our partners, yeah. That's so pretty fucking It's pretty cool. sweet, yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, so what are the challenges you then face? So, uh, I mean, actually building a mining pool is a rather technical task. Um, you know, we take in this, that, the, the lottery ticket in that previous example, uh, that's actually called a share. So, you know, when you're mining, you see, you know, your number of valid shares and, and, and that's actually your lottery ticket. Uh, well, we take in tens of thousands of those every second. And so that becomes a pretty large data problem having to manage that. So it's actually a rather technical task. Um, and then you also have to get into, um, having like resilient network connections. So making sure that your miners actually stay connected, that is a, another big task that we have to, that we have to solve. Um, and so effectively we produced these like stratum load balancers, um, which is the, uh, stratum is the protocol that your miner mm-hmm. speaks. So uh, when your miner is connected to Luxor pool, uh, it's speaking a protocol called stratum. And so we built these load balancers that move the hash rate, you know, in case there's like a dead pod or something, we move hash rate over here. And um, that's all very technical work. Um, and so those are the biggest challenges, most of them technical. I'll tell you something funny. So when Compass approached me yep. to sponsor the podcast, uh, and I said, well, I, I want to mine, I, I like to be a customer of all my, uh, of all my sponsors. And so uh, I purchased the miners and a big shout out to Colin at your team who yep. hooked me up, did everything. And uh, I've got it set up, and it's quite addictive going in every day and having a look, especially when the price moves. It's amazing. But let me tell you the funny, funny thing. It's like I keep getting these emails from people, and they keep saying, "Yo, Pete, I see you're back mining. You know, have you run the comparison? Like, would it not be better to buy spot? You know, what's what's the benefit of mining over spot?" And I was just like, I mean, I've got the. I told Harry a different theory, but the truth is, it's just fucking cool to be back contributing. Like, just to be given. Yep. I own. 
a little bit of the hash rate that provides the security to the Bitcoin network. And can I tell you whether or not buying $47,000 of uh, Bitcoin at the time I bought those miners or buying those miners will work out better in the long run? I've got no idea. It's a, it probably works out about even, I imagine. Yeah, the, especially at your scale, the, the margin there is going to be you know, you, maybe 20% one way or the other. You're probably not going to lose too much and, and you're probably not going to or outperform Bitcoin that much. But when you start getting to like mega scale, you're, you're massively outperforming um, Bitcoin because you can produce it at such a, at a, such a low cost. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know what Marathon produces their Bitcoin at, but I imagine it's less than $10,000. Oh, Really? Yeah, I mean, holy shit. Yeah, so you can they're they're producing you know they're producing Bitcoin with a massive margin, and so then they can sell that you know they sell that Bitcoin. If price goes up, they're you know they're also exposed to that as well. But that means there's still massive room in the market for competition for the hash, total hash rate to go up. Absolutely. Oh, we are in right now. We are in like a golden age of mining where there's there's more money than you can imagine flowing into mining. Um, you know, all the sites across the United States, you know, West Texas is effectively a mecca um, if you've ever, uh, of mining. If you've ever flown over North Dakota, not a lot of people have. Um, I wasn't actually there, but I know somebody that just flew there and they said it looks like New York City with all of the flare gas that's out in North Dakota coming off of the, um, coming off of all these oil rigs. And those are all just prime spots that could be capped with Bitcoin mines. We've got so many things I want to get into. Okay, you. let's do okay. it. Um, let, just sticking on this subject for the moment, let me tell you my actual investment thesis okay. on mining because I said it to Harry he had a he he disagreed with it slightly but I have loose capital within my business my podcast mm. is a business um, I used to keep uh, eight weeks cash flow business and personal in uh, the bank and then the rest would go into Bitcoin um, I've, I extended that out because we're now mid bull market I went to 12 weeks but I was extending out the cash in the business because there's things I want to invest in, invest in my team, I want to get a studio, yada, yada. So I had cash in my bank account. I didn't want to buy more Bitcoin with that because if we had a, say I bought yeah, another couple of Bitcoin, say the price did another 50% crash and I need that money, that's a problem. Right. But if I buy the miners, even when the price drops 50%, the price of the miners do not drop 50%. Uh, the miners have actually increased in value so I've got a yield in terms of the, the, the value of the capital, mm -hmm. but I'm also earning a yield with the Bitcoin. Right. So if everything being equal and like a steady market, in my head I was like, well, my miners hold their value. So that 47,000 I put in actually now is worth about 55, I think. Probably. Maybe we got up yep. today. But I'm also over that year, I, I will say if I mine one Bitcoin, I essentially double my money. Mm -hmm. So it's, for me, I was treating getting mining as like a, uh, as a, interest account mm -hmm. for my dollars. Yep. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So um, the other part that you were in that, in that podcast with Harry, you were mentioning was like, I could get easy access to uh, the capital for the, those machines. I could get that, you know, I could easily, easily sell them. Uh, he did have a good point that it could take a little while, right? Where having Bitcoin directly, you know, if I needed to sell a Bitcoin today, I can sell that and get cash into my bank account effectively the same day. Where selling some miners may take a few days or, or, or you know. It's, that would it's be liquid. a weird emergency for me though, to need right. it like immediately. Right. Uh, and if I did, I could, you know, I could take a loan out for the bank and cover yeah. that period of time. Right. But it was, for me, it's like the miners are a derivative of Bitcoin, but they're a stable derivative. So now, so why don't you put all your Bitcoin in then? If it's going to make 50% more, why wouldn't you just buy all of it? Well, it's a good question. 
I don't know if the Bitcoin <laughs> outperforms the, the miners. That's, yep. that's what I don't know. Uh, secondly, can't get any equipment. I mean, people think I get preferential from Compass. Uh, they yeah. helped me get set up at the start, but right. they were machines they had in stock. Yep. But if I'm, I'm on the same waiting list as them, I cannot get any machines. Oh, and you know, even if you can get machines, there's infrastructure issues as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. So there's so much to unpack in all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, you're right. You can't really get machines. Even if you came to me with a million dollars a day, it's really tough to get machines, right? Um, you know, Compass is doing a phenomenal job and, and they're one of our preferred partners. We love working with them. Um, you know, we have a referral. So if they, somebody buys a, a, a Compass miner uh, and then plugs it into Luxor, um, you know, they refer them over. We have a discount and all of that. So we, we love the Compass guys. And I think that the model they put together really democratizes mining. And I was really hoping somebody would do it and really excited to see that they brought that, uh, they brought that to market. Um, but back to your point about actually getting machines, really tough. And then if you actually get the machines, trying to get them plugged in right now is really, really tough. So Luxor attempted, or not attempted, we bought about a megawatt worth of miners. Um, and then we can't, it was, almost, it was almost like pulling teeth to find anybody in the entire country that would give us one megawatt, one megawatt which is not a lot. That's not a lot of miners. And um, meaning uh, like just our entire network Nobody was able to give up one megawatt of space. It's just that crunched right now. Um, I mean, they are building quickly, um, and, and there's a lot of infrastructure coming online, but that's not going to happen until Q1 or Q2 of next year. Probably late Q1, early Q2, we'll start, start to see some of the stuff that was turned on, uh, or the projects that were turned on as a result of the China ban um, really start to come online, and then we're going to see a meteoric rise in hash, hash rate. Are you guys mining as well? We mine a little bit, right? A little bit, so we yeah. we use it mostly as a uh, we use it mostly as like a test bed. Um, so you know we we build a lot of hash rate based products. We need to have some hash rate to test with. So mostly we use it for testing. I mean it's a it's a nice little bit of revenue as well to add to the balance sheet. But uh, but in general we're not really purchasing miners to, as our core business. Uh, it's just a supplement. So I tell you what's really interesting with all this. Uh, We've had a big year in Bitcoin, right? We've had Absolutely. whatever, everything that Michael Saylor's done with MicroStrategy, everything Jack Dorsey's done to support Bitcoin. We've had Tesla, you know, whatever, despite Elon Musk being a bit of a dick with Doge, it's really interesting that Tesla uh, invested and their purchase is mm -hmm. now very much in the green. We've had a lot of uh, political maneuvering with regards to Bitcoin. We've had... Uh, just so much stuff happened. It's like we, today, the ETF we found out about Valkyrie. Yep. But what's really super interesting to me is I think the story of the last year is really mining. I think that's been the most, I think that's been the biggest story of Bitcoin yeah. right now for a couple of reasons. Uh, and I'm not the most educated on this, but a couple of days ago, I was with, I was at Governor Abbott's house, mm -hmm. mansion in Texas uh, as an invite from the Texas Blockchain Council. And that room was filled with miners. Uh, investors and oil and gas people. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it was and and listening to him talk about Texas being open for business, we want to support Bitcoin, we want to be part of this. For me, it was just like a real moment of wow, this is a big big deal. We've seen Ted Cruz come out very much supporting Bitcoin. A lot of people within the Republican Party supporting Bitcoin. We've seen everything that's happened with the the hash rate migrate outside of uh, China. And have zero impact upon the network in terms of security. Blocks kept getting right. produced. Um, I think mining is, is the big story of Bitcoin over the last year. Mining, mining is Bitcoin. Without mining, there is no Bitcoin. So it's it it is the 
you know, all, everything that we trade, everything that we, uh, you know, all the value that's derived from the Bitcoin network starts from a little machine in a warehouse somewhere producing the, producing the blocks. So at the end of the day, Bitcoin is mining. So many things to touch on that you, you kind of touched on. So, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the China ban. Um, because that, that catalyzed all, everything that we're seeing now. I mean, America was definitely going to outpace China uh, over the next three to five years in, in the mining space anyway, um, just because the amount of energy that we have is, is, is you know, far outpaces what they, are, they have coming online. Um, but this, you know, obviously having it actually get banned in China, it, I mean, it, it supercharged that, right? They're, they're building faster than they could possibly build. You know, they're, they're, they're doing everything they can Money is just fire hosing into projects uh, to get online. So, uh, talking about the China ban, uh, you know, thank you, China. Finally, absolutely, finally, yeah. yeah. Like fuck off. The FUD is real this time. We've never, um, you know, it, I've been around for a long time. We've heard of Chinese bans for for a long time, China, you know, banning exchanges or um, banning mining or banning production of miners or or all sorts of things. Who knows? This time it actually happened. It was really strange this spring of this year to see, um, you know, actually hearing from our Bitcoin, our you know, our Chinese counterparts, like, yep, this is this is coming. We're moving. Like, and there was, um, you know, I heard stories of people that had their machines on boats in the ocean somewhere, trying to figure out where they're going to put all those machines when they come to the U.S. or other, you know, other places around the world. Um, and it, it was it, it was sprung very quickly. Um, so they actually banned mining, which is crazy. Like that catalyzed the first wave of, of bans. And now, you know, they actually, they, they banned, you know, the exchange of cryptocurrency now. So effectively, it's entirely banned, um, all cryptocurrency in, in China. So. so let's talk through the China thing. Let's yep. try and theorize. Okay. <laughs> which basically, for me, is guessing. But it's kind of like, okay, let's take a look at China. It's obviously a very authoritarian state. Yep. We know it has uh, social credit scores. Uh, and just interesting side point. I've done two. Remember, did you know I have this other podcast, Defiance? No. Okay, so I had this other podcast, Defiance, where I used to do non-Bitcoin subjects. Okay. I've done two interviews with Westerners who live in China in the last year, uh, and before those shows were released, both of them asked them to be pulled. They said, "We don't want this." Both people said, "Don't want this live. It's not good for me." So, despite the fact it's like, why would you base yourself in a country where you? Are fully accepting the feel you, that way, yeah. yeah. But we know it's an authoritarian state. We know it has a social credit score. We know they're pursuing a CBDC, right? Yep. Um, they could ban the exchange and use of Bitcoin, um, but mining was essentially making their own grid more efficient and putting money into China. So my only theory of why they banned it is that they realized like Bitcoin is unstoppable. So let's just put up a wall around it. Let's mm -hmm. essentially, like they have the great uh, firewall. firewall. Mm -hmm. This is their great Bitcoin firewall. firewall. Let's, that, because there's no economic logic to it. Right. There's only uh, censorship and control logic. So we, we have been hearing um, about uh, electrical grid brownouts around rolling through China, right? Okay. And... My, What's my, a brownout? A brownout is when like part of your city is blacked out because it doesn't have enough power, right? Okay. Or or your lights are fluck, flickering because there's just not enough power coming into the grid to to power, um, you know, the entire city. Um, you know, similar. You know, we have we have similar things in in California and other parts of the United States. Sometimes not it's not nearly as common, um, but I think that was a, a bigger problem back in um, you know like the 80s. But 
anyway, they're having these, these brownouts where there's not enough energy for the grid in China. And so my, my theory was always that they felt like if we turn off these Bitcoin miners, we can funnel that energy into their ultra-high voltage line, which allows them to transmit energy very long distances, which is usually a problem. Um, yeah, Harry, when, talked, cause Harry talked about you, you basically degrades over, over time. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, and so, with, but, but if you bump up the voltage, you can transmit it a lot further. And okay. so they have these ultra high voltage lines. And my thought is that they're probably thinking they're going to p- put that energy into those UHVs and then uh, pipe that into the big cities. Um, we'll see if that's actually the case. I, I mean, that makes a little more sense than what you, you know, like you're, you're saying, like pure, purely economically, um, it makes no sense for them to shut this down unless they view it as something completely unstoppable. And so maybe they kind of got both sides, right? They can get a little bit more power into their cities and, um, you know, kill this thing that could potentially usurp their CBDC. Yeah, interesting. I, I hadn't heard about these. Uh, I mean, I, I did hear in the last week or so, actually, there were uh, issues with uh, black, well, I heard it's blackouts, but uh, energy issues in China. We've got it in, potentially in the UK come in. Okay. Uh, we had, it's happened in China and also in India. So I had heard about that. I hadn't made the link to the Bitcoin miners. I'm assuming they weren't taking that much of the power that it would make so, much of a difference. Yeah, that's actually a good point. So, you know, um, actually, Nick Carter was, uh, you know, just re- they were just released a report about how much energy the Bitcoin network actually uses. They said about 10 gigawatts, most likely, somewhere around there. Um, I took a little bit different approach and I decided, I, I said, okay, so there's about 140 exahash on the network right now. Um, if you assume they're all latest gen S19s, which is the most efficient, um, that means that the network would use about 4.2 gigawatts. Um, and then you can move on, the, look at the other side of the scale and say, um, Maybe it's all S9s, it's the worst efficient. I mean, it's not, but we could say if it was the absolute least efficient machine that's running today, uh, it would be about four, 14.2 gigawatts. So um, most likely that amount is, you know, the, the Bitcoin network is somewhere between 4.2 and 14.2 gigawatts, um, which is not a lot. I mean, ERCOT, the Texas ERCOT is like um, like 80 gigawatts. Right. So uh, there's... That's, it's very, very little. And so if you even assume maybe Bitcoin, uh, you know, China had about half, um, they're really only getting a few gigawatts, right? And so most likely that's not going to solve their blackout problem. Right. They okay. just need to produce more energy. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing about the China ban is the resilience of the network. Absolutely. That's one of the most impressive things um, in that, you know, for a long time, you know, people were concerned about was it near 50% of the hash rate was in? Probably more. Probably more. Yeah. So that was switched off. We saw a massive drop in hash yep. rate. Uh, we saw, uh, was it, we saw a move in the difficulty adjustment, but we're back near where we were, right? Yeah. I mean, we're getting close. Um, the, the difficulty adjusted during that period where they turned everything off. I mean, the blocks were a little slow. Um, that was maybe the only, maybe really the only service degradation that you might have noticed was that maybe it took a little bit longer for your, um, you know, your Bitcoin to show up in your Coinbase or your Kraken or whatever your, your exchange was. Um, but other than that, there was really no disruption. The difficulty readjusted and the block started flowing again. And the miners were super happy, of course, because there's uh, less competition. They're able to make a ton. Uh, so this, this, this year has been kind of a golden age of mining. Um, and, and, the China ban also demonstrates the resiliency of the Bitcoin network and the Bitcoin mining network. As long as there's one computer running Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin won't die. So we've effectively created this like new life form that's never that's going to far outlast all of us and probably humanity. Do we know how much of the hash rate is here in the U.S.? 
Uh, we don't, but we can make some estimates. Um, so we, you know, the Nick Carter put out their report, and it looks like it's probably around thirty-five to forty percent now, and okay. it's probably going to be more than fifty percent over the next year, which it brings up a whole other slew of problems, yeah. right? Um, but I think that you know we, you know, we're, we're um, how do I say our states are quite independent, right? Yeah. So if 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 the federal government tried to shut down what's going on in Texas right now, there would be um, no there's no chance that's no going to happen. Yep, and not only do they have to shut down what's happening in Texas, they'd have to go to you know North Dakota and Kentucky and places where um you know places where traditionally they they you know they kind of give the middle finger to the federal government. So I think that. It's a, it is safer, but we definitely don't want that much uh, hash rate in a single place. So, um, I was you know. t- someone told me that when they tried to ban uh, Bitcoin mining in New York, they failed because the energy companies were lobbying, saying this these are going to cost jobs. Yeah, um, energy is you know Bitcoin is an energy problem. Bitcoin mining is just an energy problem now, right? We're taking electrons, producing bitcoins. Um, and so if you're really good at producing electrons, like an energy company, you have a vested interest in Bitcoin mining um, proceeding the way that it is. So 100%, uh, we're going to start to see, you know, some of the biggest power producers in the United States come on online and become big supporters of the Bitcoin network. Well, it gives a lot of regulatory protection to Bitcoin. So if Absolutely. we forget China and Bolivia, and I think Pakistan are three places that Bitcoin's banned. I'll have to double check that. Yeah. But the rest of the world tends to follow the US. Right. So you kind of want regulatory protection in the US now. If the Bitcoin network is generating billions of dollars in terms of revenue for right. the US, there's a big question over, uh, well, one, banning it, but two, even right. in putting in place too much of like onerous uh, regulation. And it's not even just the miners. You've got the miners. Right. You've got the oil and gas people getting into mining. You've got right. the investment companies investing in Bitcoin. You've right. got the exchanges. And then you've got all the Bitcoin which is held by people in the U.S. The U.S. is actually in a very strong position with Bitcoin. Right. To, to damage that would damage the U.S. economy. I mean, we're getting there. Um, you know, at 1.1, I mean, it's probably 1.2 trillion now. We'll see if our bet's good. But 1.1, oh, yeah, yeah. 1.2 trillion, um, that's, that's not nothing, right? And if, if, you know, a significant portion of that uh, is within the United States, then, like you said, that would be hurting the U.S. economy. Um, yesterday, I, I went, I did the math prior to the, the pod. Yesterday, Bitcoin miners extracted about $55 million worth of Bitcoin out of, uh, out of the network. And that's in one day. So we're looking at a, a very, very large, um, you know, we're definitely looking at a huge market. And if they try to cut that off, uh, like you said, they're effectively r- reducing the number of jobs and, and removing innovation from the United States. Next up, I talk to Nick more about Bitcoin mining. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying. I've still not sold a single sat with Gemini because I'm a hodler and we are in a bull market. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And next up, we have the amazing Compass Mining, and they're not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass, and I am back mining. Now, I've been mining for 68 days with Compass, and I have mined 0.21 of Bitcoin, which is worth over $13,000 now. 
And with the Bitcoin price rising, this has now paid off one of my S19s, and I'm now getting into the second one. It is so good to be back mining, and I really, really like these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was really easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they will do all the work for you. Now, if you are interested in getting into mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. And also, let's talk about BlockFi, who recently launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. And now you can get up to $250 in Bitcoin when you join. For people in the US who are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit cards provides the easiest way because you get 1.5% in Bitcoin back on every card purchase and there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats as you get Bitcoin back on every purchase. But not only that, you get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during the first three months of card ownership and 2% back in Bitcoin on every purchase over $50,000 of annual spend. If you're interested in finding out more, please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is where you can claim your $250 back. That is BlockFi.com forward slash Peter. B-L-O-C-K-F-I dot com forward slash P-E-T-E-R. Next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. And I'm still using that same Nano S I bought back then. Now, Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can now connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. I have to sometimes like take a step back and say, like, fucking hell, look where we are. Because, you know, I... I got into Bitcoin in two twice, but like the first time didn't really count. In 2013, right. I wasn't really looking at it. I was just trading and using the Silk Road and I didn't even understand what it was. It was only when I got back in 2017 and you know, set up this podcast. But the podcast was set up as like a joke, a hobby. And here we are four years later. And the, the, all the things I heard back in 2017, like hyper-Bitcoinization, I was yeah. like, yeah, all right, I get yep. it. I know what you're saying, but like, come on. You know, we're not going to unserve sovereign currencies. And like, well, here we are now, we have a country with Bitcoin's legal tender. Mm-hmm. We have other countries we know are looking at Brazil, Ukraine, yada, yada. We have this huge industry in the US. We have sovereign currencies collapsing and the Bitcoin use case being proven. We are at 61 and a half ish we'll K see. as far yep. as we know. Uh, but we could easily go over 100K within the next couple of months easily. We could go to multiple hundreds of Ks. You can now see this path. You can say, okay, if somebody turned around to you and said, well, Bitcoin could hit 500,000 by the next halving, it's like, yeah, I, I see it. 100%. So the interesting thing of the China ban is that we potentially have two different economic worlds. We have the world which has accepted and adopted and uses Bitcoin, and we have the world that doesn't. Right, And I don't know what that means. We had a conversation last night because I've said to you before, I, I don't think this transition is without a lot of pain and difficulty. Yeah. Um, moving to a hyper-Bitcoinized world is, is not going to be a peaceful thing. Um, and that, you know, it's a little scary, uh, certainly, but... Does it trouble you? Because it troubles me. Um, Maybe maybe I don't think about it as much as you do. Yeah. I'm just thinking about making sure that my miners are producing as much as they can. That's the um, lefty in me. What's that? It's the, the lefty, lefty in, in you? Me. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's a good, that is a really good question. I don't think about that very much and maybe I, maybe I should, but uh, I think about all the good that Bitcoin does bring. Mm-hmm. And Great. I think that, um, you know, one of the reasons I got into Bitcoin early, early on originally was that it, it brings equity to people that norm, have, have traditionally never had it, right? So, um, you know, historically look, looking at Venezuela or, or Argentina where their, their currency is effectively collapsing over time, um, you know, Bitcoin offers a life raft and any, you know, um, they have the same rules. Uh, somebody that owns some Bitcoin in Venezuela or, or um, you know, Kazakhstan or, or anywhere around the world, they have the same set of rules as Michael Saylor, who owns billions and billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Um, and that is incredibly powerful, right? Having the ability to be on equal footing and have equity across all ec- economic status uh, never existed before. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, I think that we are in this transition. I, I look for the good side, and and you know, I, I do see that there's probably going to be um, there's probably going to be violence around it. But uh, I, I I don't want to think about that. I want to think about what what is the outcome, and I think that the outcome is is equity for all. Well, I think because of the the job I do, I have to I have to think of both sides. Right. And I I see the benefits. You know, El Salvador right now, uh, Bukele, outside of what people think of him. Took a lot of risk with this. Absolutely. Bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin when the price was falling. Steve Hankey, the dickhead, was giving him shit. And uh, today, all the Bitcoin purchase in uh, El Salvador is now in the green. 100%. Yep. So that country has gone from four consecutive presidents who've stolen from the country. Mm-hmm. Two, in, two hiding out in Nicaragua, one's in jail, one died. They have a new president came in He said, We've got enough money if we don't steal it. Uh, the only way they can get money is borrowing the international markets. And they have a tough economic position. And this country with a history of problems, like people, when people uh, email me and say, I want to go to El Salvador, is it safe? I'm like, you know what? I've never had a problem. Now that country has a, a much reduced uh, issue with gangs and violence. It still exists, but that's reduced. They are now plugged in to the Bitcoin network. And mm-hmm. as Jack Mallers would say, an open monetary network. They are plugged in. Every person in that country is plugged into this global network if they want within a few minutes, as long as they have a phone right. and internet connection. The GDP of the country has had a bit of a boost from this. Um, so I like the fact that these small countries come first. And I like the fact that it brings some equity into capital. I, I, yep. I do like that. I do think of both sides, but it's incredible that this is actually happening now. Like, if, like I say, four years ago, I'd be reading Pierre Rochard's articles and Nakamoto Institute, and I'd be like, yeah, I understand the theory, but come on, like, I'm, I'm a doubter sometimes, but like, it's, it's happening. It is absolutely happening, and there are more dominoes to fall. I'm, what's happening in El Salvador, like you said, regardless of what, you know, what we think of the, the president that exists now and what their presidents have done in the past, a uh, huge step. This is a step that's going to define the trajectory for Bitcoin for the next decade. Um, and they're the first ones to make it. And like you said, it's, it's great to see a smaller country where the, the overall economic impact may be a little bit smaller on the global scale. But to them, that doesn't matter. They're now plugged into a network that is able to you know, serve their needs and, and seamlessly transition them to this new, more sound money. And I think, what was the... Uh we're up to like 5.4% inflation. Absolutely. I mean, it's a huge problem. I, I don't know what to do about it other than just buy Bitcoin. I buy sats every day. Yeah, so. buy Bitcoin. That's obviously one of the solutions. But specifically with El Salvador as a dollarized nation, they 
they are going through 5.5%, 5.4% inflation, probably higher. Yeah. Um, but when uh, Biden prints another three and a half trillion with the infrastructure bill, that's not building our infrastructure in El Salvador. So they're like, we can all hate right. the infrastructure bill. We can hate the printing of money. You know, it is, as we know, it's a shadow tax. Right. But there are some residual benefits to the country in that at least that money filters its way throughout the US. Yep. Now, look, we know unfairly, we, we, everyone in Bitcoin will talk about uh, the Cantillian effect, yep. but the, there is residual benefits to the US. There's no residual benefit to El Salvador at all. Any, any dollarized nation is getting fucked. Absolutely fucked right now. And there's nothing they can do about it. Um, you know, there are countries. There's one thing they can do about it. There's one thing they can do about it, right? <laughs> um, and we know what that is. But I think, I, I, don't have a, I, I don't have any other, any solution for you other than that. You know, you, you have to change your money. And changing your money is, is hard, but it's important. And we're at a stage in, in you know, the life cycle of humanity where, Changing the money may be the biggest step that you can make, and it's awesome to see Bukele, you know, lead the way there and see if there's others that you know that follow behind. Well, we're, we're moving to a a world which, if you talk about Bitcoin standard, the, the, the thing I like about Bitcoin standard over the gold standard, the gold standard was a centralized standard that can be switched yep. on and off. Yep. A Bitcoin standard. Well, I mean, I guess somebody could operate their own gold standard, but it's it's less viable because. You know, gold isn't so liquid, There's, and you can't use it in shops, etc. The right? malleability, um, the fungibility of gold. Gold is is somewhat fungible, but it's it's not it's not transferable. Um, if I need to pay for something in El Salvador, I have to ship them some gold. Of um, if I need to pay for something with Bitcoin, it's done in ten minutes. So, but a Bitcoin standard is completely optional and down to the individual. I operate on a semi-Bitcoin standard now. I talked about keeping right. most of my money in Bitcoin. I'm sure you're very similar. Yeah. That is my standard. You're on the same standard as me. Uh, and the more people that come onto this standard, this changes the incentive models. And that's the really interesting thing. I like the fact we're going to move to a world of prudence and rewarding the savers and the prudent people right. rather than rewarding the risk takers. Well, I say risk takers. People in government aren't taking a risk. No. Well, okay. they are with our money. Yeah, absolutely. But they're not taking a personal risk. Because they're the Cantillionaires. Absolutely, Harry says said it best. Um, you know, Bitcoin demonetizes the political class. Yes, and uh, I love the way that he says that. It's so succinct because um, that's exactly what it does, right? It, it allows us to opt out of the decision making that is effectively out of our control. Um, and now the decisions, while they are also out of our control, we know exactly what they are and what they will be forever, right? The you know the Bitcoin network does not change um, unless we allow unless we agree to it. I still struggle communicating this to my friends, right? Right. Like, my friends know exactly what I do for a job. They see on Instagram, yep. they see on Twitter, whatever. They're like, they see me touring the world, doing interviews, talking about Bitcoin. They, they see that. And I can go down the pub when I get back to, I actually am, because I fly back on the uh, uh, 29th, I land back on the uh, day before my birthday. I've got it. I'm going to be down with my friends in the pub. One of the conversations alongside football and everything else is going to be Bitcoin. They're going to ask me what's going on. And I'm going to be like, guys, have you bought any? And not one of them. I'm telling you, not one of them is going to go, yep. Yeah, I've been saying to them, inflation is coming. Bitcoin is your hedge. It's your long-term hedge. I've explained everything that happens in my podcast. I, look, let's put it a different way. I've warned them. I've been yep. warning them for... Oh, even better. Like, actually, so it's, it's periods. So okay. since 2017, I've been educating them about Bitcoin. Right. From around 2020, early 2020, I've been warning them about what's coming, especially right. through the pandemic. I was like, okay, yep. now it's definitely coming. And now it's happening. Mm -hmm. 
and they're seeing it. They're seeing high inflation. Mm-hmm. They're seeing supply chain issues. I still struggle to convert people. The conversion. <laughs> I, I have the same conversations with my friends. Yeah. You know, I'm the I'm the weird Bitcoin guy in my friend group. Um, you know, we go golfing. We go, you know, to a show. We go to, go to a game, and we talk about Bitcoin. And same exact thing that happened to you. None of them has ever actually bought any Bitcoin. They all feel like it's too late. Right? They feel like, oh, the, the run-up has happened. And I'm like, if you look at the world, if you look at what's happening around the world, the US especially, we're not too late. You're at the very beginning of what mm-hmm. is a massive wave of, def- of, of devaluation of everything that you own. So jump on now or be left behind, unfortunately. And they're going to get left behind. I don't know what to tell them. Well, they have to get comfortable with a couple of subjects. They've got to okay. get comfortable with the idea that Bitcoin can go up forever. Oh, no, that's time really, really hard for people to understand. But that's the point. It can go up forever. There is no like ceiling to this. They have to get comfortable with the idea it's volatile. They have to get comfortable with the idea that if they buy Bitcoin, they've got to forget about that for years. They've got to get comfortable around, I think as a first step, they've got to get comfortable around those ideas like security and multi-sigs and mining and that can all come later. But they have to get comfortable with that idea that is an inelastic supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got to get comfortable with the fact that they don't. We don't know what's going to happen. But I've, I'm trying to encourage them, and I can't do it. I can't fucking do it. One guy bought some Tron, made a lot of money. Motherfucker! What an asshole. <laughs> um, yeah, my friends they messaged me. They're like, what do, "What do you think of Shiba? Just got listed on Bitcoin." My fucking Base. sister bought Shiba. She like messaged me the other day, and I was like, "What are you doing? That's a shit one." I've told you. And then she comes back to me the other day. And she goes, "I was right." How much did she make? I don't know. 100% or more? A bit more, I think. Oh, um, gosh, it hurts, right? Yeah. The fact of the matter is that getting people into Bitcoin is going to be tough. Um, they are going to have to do it. They're going to have to come to the well, right? We can, we can show them the water. They can't make them drink, just like you know the old saying. Getting you know, everybody that's listening to this podcast, actually a lot of them have one of my favorite uh, ways of describing Bitcoin in their Twitter handles, so probably a lot of the people that are going to listen to this, is the infinity symbol over 21, 21 minutes. Yeah. Because that is the price of Bitcoin. And at the end of the day, the infinity um, that represents all of the fiat money that, is yet, that has been printed and has yet to be printed. Um, just heard the other day when Obama, you know, when Obama left office, there was a, about an $8 trillion deficit. And it's 29? going... What's we're that? Twenty nine now, and we're gonna eclipse. Thir- yeah, we're gonna probably yeah. eclipse thirty this year. Yeah, the thirty debts, trillion dollars. The meaningless debt ceiling. Yeah, thirty trillion dollars. So that means with since twenty sixteen, um, we've printed twenty two trillion dollars. Um, that's never gonna get paid back. The only way they're gonna pay that back is by inflating it away. It, well, they inflate it away, or if they're smart, they could have bought some Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you guys want to come buy $30 trillion worth of Bitcoin, uh, be my guest. Yeah, we're in. We'll I'm take in. it. I'll, I'm happy. I'll take your fucking Just money. hit the market buy button. Oh, okay. Uh, can we talk about Taiwan? Okay. Okay, yeah. but I, I specifically want to talk about chips. Okay. I want to talk about ASICs and uh, the supply issues within the market. Okay. Because... I probably would buy some more ASICs now if I could. And I know there's a short supply and I know there's a global chip shortage. There is. Explain to me what's going on there. Is it to do with silicon? Is it to do with supply chain issues, COVID? Is it all of that? What's going on? Okay, so I will caveat that I am not an expert in the chip manufacturing process, but being in our industry, I've talked to a lot of people that know a lot about this. So um, some of the things that I say may not be perfectly correct, but I'm just trying to reiterate the, you know, the stories that I've heard. So um, 
The TSMC, for people that don't know, is the manufacturer that builds the chips that go into everything that you have. You know, the, that little uh, device you have there to the phone, to my watch, to the cameras, TM- everything. TSMC. Wasn't, what's that? Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company or something. So there's like only one. And th- there's actually a couple, um, but TSMC is the one that everybody talks about because it's the biggest. Um, and so they produce chips for everything, right? So getting Bitcoin mining chips into the TSMC uh, backlog is very, very difficult. Bitmain has a relationship there and is able to get those allocations. They call them allocations. So uh, they know that they're going to get their chips you know, on day X and then probably uh, next quarter. So 90, you know, X plus 90 days and then X plus 180 days. But the problem now is that it's actually not as much a chip shortage for Bitmain. Bitmain has manufacturing problems, right? So they can't actually get the machines that they've, the chips that they've already got uh, into machines and out the door into customer hands, um, and so it's it's it actually is it's a confluence of events that's re- pro- produced this massive crunch in uh, in in the ASIC markets. Um, there's also some rumors that Bitmain is holding on to machines and not actually putting them into the market because they don't want to flood the market with uh, supply. Um, because right now they're able to sell them for such a premium, but um, I don't know if that's right. True okay, because like uh, if they they could sell it for nine thousand now and whatever the price yeah. is. They wait till the end of the year. They could sell them for twenty five thousand potentially. I've been told twenty five thousand A six are coming. Um, twenty five thousand dollars S nineteens. Yeah, actually, uh, who said that first? JP JP Barrick from Mining yeah, Store. I think, I think he so. said twenty uh, k. And I was like, you're out of your mind. Uh, but actually, he's probably right now. They uh, started out like two k, right? Um, yeah, MSRP for one. I think when they first came out was around three thousand um, dollars. And now the futures are, you know. Um, you know, we, we keep track of this on hash rate index. We, we have something called the rig index where we track the value of different types of ASICs over time. So some secondary, some futures, um, and the value of an S19 is effectively just a line that goes up and to the right. Um, there was a little dip in, in the summer here when we had that dip in Bitcoin uh, price. But um, yeah, I think right now the value of an S19 is a little uh, around $12,000 if, if I had to guess, um, just based on the rig index data. So the TSMC? Yeah, the TSMC. Yep. That's probably geopolitically one of the most important companies in the yeah, world right now. Yeah, certainly. Yep, certainly. And they have, um, so going back to Bitmain, Bitmain actually um, relinquished their allocation t- twice in a row. Um, they gave up their allocation for new chips um, last quarter and I think this quarter as well. And the reason for that is they just can't get the machines built. Uh, and so they have to offshore all that manufacturing. And it looks like it's going to other parts of Southeast Asia. I think Malaysia right now is the de facto manufacturing site for Bitmain and I believe what's mine as well. Okay. So I'm really interested in understanding how much of the market that the TSMC has. Yeah. What are the chip manufacturers that are? Uh, because so, so Samsung it, has a manufacturer, and they're partnered with Bitfury. Bitfury claims to have a five nanometer chip that should be coming out. I don't know if it's out or, or not. There um, haven't heard any news on that, but there are other manufacturers. They just aren't as big. Right, so there's Samsung has theirs, uh, and then there's another one called Global Foundry, but I don't know what their capacity is, and they may not be able to do five nanometer. Okay, so I'm going to talk about something I'm definitely on my depth on, and it's okay. a little uncomfortable. I'm getting but close. <laughs> you know what I'm going to talk about. You you can contribute as much as you want to this, but I uh, like most people are very concerned about China as a country and uh, its influence around the world. It's a soft form of imperialism. Um, creating debt obligations in uh, countries around the world through their Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, I'm concerned about geopolitical issues relating to global debt 
slowdown in the global economy and the impact that's going to have. Um, I think we're heading into very strange and unusual times. Times I thought were always from the history books, not something I would see in my lifetime. Uh, specifically with regards to China, uh, uh, following the takeover of Hong Kong, uh, President Xi has been talking about Taiwan. And I, think, mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact words, but reunifying China. And then we know there's been plane circling around uh, Taiwan. And we know there are, I think the US or the UK might have deployments out there. Uh, it seems like if there is a threat to Taiwan, I don't believe there'd ever be a war over it. I just don't see it. But there is a economic geopolitical reason for China to want to take control of the TSMC. Yes. Because they will be controlling a vast amount of the chips that Western companies need for their products. Yes. That, that appears to be an issue. And somebody, I read somewhere, or somebody told me that the, a likely outcome is an attempt to try and move the TSMC to another country which says to me that there was no appetite for war, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And I would feel very sorry for the people of Taiwan because I've been there. It's a beautiful place. But that seems to me like a big issue at the moment. That's a, yeah, lots to unpack there. Yeah, um, yeah TSM, the, the TSMC is, like you said, that, that becomes a geopolitical um, pawn. And I believe that it's a very, very important one, more like a geopolitical uh, rook or bishop, maybe, mm. um, not a pawn. That is a very important piece in the puzzle. Um, they are building um, other foundries. They just take a long time to build. Um, they're trying to build, I believe they're building one in Arizona. They've already announced this. Um, okay. And it should be state-of-the-art, meaning it can produce all the chips that exist uh, today and probably even more different types. So, probably more expensive um, being built in, in the US. US? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I would ex- I would expect so. Um, the, but it's it, that's okay. Maybe if it's a, if as yeah, long, if, it, if if it avoids if it avoids a global war, um, you know, a proxy war via Taiwan with you know the West versus the East, um, I think we can pay a little bit more for chips. Um, as for what happens with Taiwan, that's yeah. You're you've reached the end of my uh, my knowledge. Well, uh, yeah, here. I mean, look, we don't need to get into that as such. We can. We can agree and understand there are geopolitical reasons why this is a topic of conversation at the moment. Right. But I think there are probably it's, people who are better at discussing. This it's than funny you and how I. it's funny how our little niche of the industry um, of the overall like chip industry, right? So TSMC they build uh, they build chips for Apple, they build chips for Ford. You know these are massive massive companies and you know, Microsoft, all these companies that have um, you know technology devices, technological devices. They all require chips. Um, they're all having the same conversation on. You know, I don't know if there's there's probably an Apple podcast somewhere. They're talking about what's going to happen with TSMC. This doesn't affect just us. This affects everyone. Um, but the way that it affects us is that the value of our S19s now go up and it makes it very difficult to get new ones. And the Bitcoin mining ecosystem hasn't really had this, um, you know, this kind of crunch in a long time. We've always pretty much had access to, to chips. Um, you know, the value of S9s, you know, they, they never really had this meteoric rise like, like the value of, uh, of S19s have, you know, from their base price. When I think, I think the S9, when it was originally released was $2,500. Um, I bought 70 of them. 70 of them? Back in November 17. And you didn't turn, leave them on? So I'll talk you through what happened. I bought All 70 right. of them. Uh, a friend of mine said, need to get into mining. I managed to get an allocation. I had to buy it with Bitcoin Cash, motherfuckers. Wait, brand new ones? Yeah, brand new ones. Okay. St- straight from Bitmain. Yep. Uh, yeah, I bought 70 of them. 
November. I think I thought they were around two thousand, two two and a half thousand. Yep. By December, they were selling on Amazon um, uh, for around five and a half thousand, six thousand. Yeah. And I was like, mm, I should, maybe should sell these, but like, I wanted my Bitcoin. Yeah. You should have sold them. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, yeah. Because then right. they went down. So we tracked the value of S9. So, right, that was well, right let, around. Let me tell you what happened. So okay, let's do it. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Right. Where did you put them? So uh, they went into a uh, hosted facility in, um, uh, in Texas, but it wasn't a uh, Bitcoin specific mining facility. It was just like a data hosting center. Got it. Do you have any idea how much you were paying? I know exactly what I was paying. What were you paying? What do you think? 11 cents. I wish. <laughs> more? Than, more than 11 cents? 18 cents. Wow. Yeah. yeah you can plug the, you could have plugged those in in your for basement. Well. But dude, I plugged them in. They plugged in in January and I made Bitcoin. Yeah. It was great. February kind of broke even. March, I was like, what the fuck? And eventually got to the point where I had to negotiate an exit. Right. And so they ended up going into a warehouse sat there and uh, back in, oh, when was it? About a year ago, maybe a bit longer than a year ago, I was like, like, what should I do with these things? He's like, dude, they're only good for scrap right now for parts. I can give you like $30 a machine. I was like, oh, fuck. No, just wait for a moment. Then about six months ago, someone got in touch with me and they're like, do you know where I can get any miners from? I was like, oh, well, I've got uh, 70 uh, S9s. And I always had 70 Dragon Mints. Oh my gosh. Fucking okay. useless piece of shit. Uh, and we negotiated a price of 1.5 Bitcoin for 70. Oh, yeah. Well done. Well, so interestingly, on dollar value, um, I break even when Bitcoin gets around 95K. Okay. Because I took the 1.5 Bitcoin. Got it. So that so would work how, out. How much, how, much did you, how much did you actually sell them for each? I think it was about $700 each. That's a steal. You got I know. It. You got like, it. Dude, you when it came out, I was like, take my money. It might have, it might, I think it might have came down, I think maybe 650 and I had to pay for some repairs. Got it. You know, because yeah. a few of them needed repair. But in the end, it was like, okay, that's great. I'll hold that Bitcoin. And So let's unpack that just a little bit more because it, it, there's a, so many people have a very similar story. So you had 70 S9s. Yep. Um, for anybody that doesn't really know what that is, um, an S9 is a mining machine and that thing uses about 1,400 watts, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if you have 70 of them, let's say you're using just under, you know, just under a kilowatt. Your home, like a, you know, an American home is usually um, wired for about 20 kilowatts. So it's like five homes worth of energy. So it's not like you can just plug them in anywhere. So you needed to put them somewhere. Um, but that time in, in history, the, the, hosting, the hosting industry was still a very nation. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the pricing was all over the place. Um, you know, you, you've heard of, you heard of folks getting two cent power and then you heard of folks like yourself paying 18, 20 cents. It was um, really hard to get power. Right. It's really hard to get that much power because it's not built for that yep. this yet. You know, you're you're retrofitting a warehouse or a or um, you it was know a data hosting facility. Like yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I even have a story. We we bought a couple of um, of altcoin miners, had them hosted in China for like twenty five cents uh, a kilowatt hour. Um, but the thing is, you were you it was like uh, the first gen of these altcoin miners are cr crazy profitable. So it was actually more profitable to keep them running in China right. rather than wait. The six weeks that it would take to ship them, so we just like plugged them in, um, and we we got some videos. Those were in some some pretty sketchy uh, <laughs> conditions of uh, those things running. But anyway, um, 
so the, these 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 S9s, and then over time, they eventually got to the point where it doesn't matter what energy price you had, unless it was like one or two, maybe even two cents, um, you couldn't make break even on an S9. Um, I think Harry said that he's been a, he would have been able to run an S9 even through the bear market of 2020. So like Damn. June of 2020, he would have been able to run an S9 profitably, not very profitably, but at least you know breaking even or or you know turning a little bit of, a, of a revenue. Um, but and during that time, like you said, they were the, the S9s were effectively scrapped. We, you know, we were we we were helping people find them just for the power supplies um, because the power supplies you can take those off and plug them into other machines. Uh, and so you would say, I want to, I'll buy your batch of a thousand S nines as long as it comes with the power supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the only way you could get rid of them. And people were selling them because they're like, I have a warehouse full of these um, things that are worthless. Uh, but now an S nine, I mean, we we buy one for most of the people on the team so that they can get um, familiar with the ecosystem and run it. Like you can run an S nine at home uh, on regular power, just one, um, and they're like five six hundred bucks now. So they 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 didn't they didn't obviate as much as people thought. Like yeah. they thought they were going to be off into oblivion, you know, effectively getting dumped into the ocean somewhere. But yeah, they're still profitable. I thought I was going to get. Uh, originally, I thought I was going to get about four fifty for the Dragon Mints, but what happened was when the price dipped, they pulled out the Dragon Mints. I was like, "Fuck, stupid machines!" So, Most, like, of those seventy, uh, I think only thirty nine were running. Oh, okay. They were shit. Okay, so you didn't get S nines; you had Dragon Mints. No, I had both. Okay. I had seventy S nines and seventy Dragon Mints. So you had one hundred forty total. Yeah. So yeah, you had a lot. Like that's a that's a, a that's actually like quite a lot of power. And that's it's a really lot of find. power for yeah. a moron who's been in Bitcoin properly for a year and doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's it's really hard to run a profitable Bitcoin mine at eighteen cents. But um, actually, it's almost impo- it is impossible to do. So. But that was one of my biggest lessons in Bitcoin because right. whilst I might break even on my dollar, I lost a lot of Bitcoin. We're talking about multiple tens in terms of buying. The machines. Oh, the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And then the paying, the yep. loss on the cost. That was my biggest lesson about protecting Bitcoin. Protect your sats. Yeah. So my my simple rule ever since then is every month I have to end it with more sats than the previous month. Okay. And I've I've had like two months where I haven't because like I give some away. I you know, sponsored projects. Yep. But generally speaking, that's always my goal. Right. So um Actually, this is, I always ask this to people that have been around for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask what's your biggest regret purchasing something with Bitcoin. It sounds like this probably was it. Yeah, it's a fair point because, like, if it, biggest I don't tend to operate with too many regrets because I think regrets can weigh you down. Oh, certainly. You, you and you keep thinking. Like I've had. It's supposed lot. to be a light question. This is not know, supposed to be very philosophical and thinking. Like, oh my god, it gosh, is but, quite philosophical, okay. right? And and. And the reason it's philosophical for me is is that I learned a few years ago uh, money doesn't buy happiness. It's such a cliche, but let me explain it. In that being poor sucks, I've been broke, right? So base level costs of life, if you can pay your mortgage mortgage or rent, pay your bills, your kids need shit, you can get that, and you go and do your shopping, you buy what you want, and if at any point you need to get on a plane, you can buy that ticket. I think once you've got that covered, Everything else is about lumps in life. Okay, I want that car, I want that house, I want right. that plane. Uh, those lumps never, they never buy you happiness, but everything below being able to cover base costs can leave you to being sad. So I try and always go, actually, I have zero regrets. Like, okay. I, I fucking, I have, I'm so blessed with the life I have. But now that I've done the philosophical, All right. yeah, of course, my biggest regret is, the, is, is those minors, but at the same time, it's been part of a journey of my life. Right. It's, 
which has taken me around the world, interviewing a range of people to be sat here right now in sunny Los Angeles, hanging out with you. Yeah. And I'm happy about that. So maybe I should have phrased the question a little bit differently. <laughs> what was your most expensive mistake? There so you go. Pete, Stop being a wanker, answer properly. Uh, my, <laughs> the miners. Uh, yeah, the miners. The miners on a, but that was a business side of things. Okay. Right? My most expensive purchase. In, in terms of, so let me, let me give you an example. I bought my mom a Target gift card yeah. with one Bitcoin. Holy shit. Back in the day, I used a one Bitcoin to buy a gift card to Target for my mother for Christmas. Um, and that thing's now what worth sixty? Well, we're going to find out if it's worth sixty-two thousand five hundred dollars or not at the end of this podcast. But did she? Uh, she did she keep it? The target oh, gift. No, no. The target Target gift card. Sorry, I thought you meant you bought uh, like a Bitcoin gift card. No, okay, no, no. Yeah. I bought. I used Bitcoin yeah, to buy a target. To buy yeah. a Target gift card yeah. for my mother in December of uh, what was it like? I don't know, fourteen or something. Thirteen. I mean, I've got a few of those, but like I, I was talking about this last night. Um, do you know Garzala? What? Do you know Garzala? She was there yeah, last night. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I was talking to her about this last night. Uh, I spend Bitcoin. Okay. I will spend Bitcoin because if I die, this fucking useless to me and my kids aren't just going to have my suffering and pain. They've got to go okay. out and work themselves. Got right? it. Got it. Uh, so I spend Bitcoin and I t- never tend to look back and go, will I regret that? Okay. I mean, I bought uh, some cars earlier this year. I bought my son one, myself two. Okay. <laughs> and my dad one, right? And uh, I sold a s- small amount of Bitcoin for my son mm-hmm. because a reward for him because he's just been so good to me. Okay. He's been very supportive of what I do. And then say the one I bought my dad, that if I hadn't bought my dad that I would have bought Bitcoin. Got it. You okay. Know? I see. So and they those were all in the region of like 55 to 64. All happened around there. Right. They're all going to be negative Bitcoin purchases possibly by the end of today, right. possibly by tomorrow. Yep. Got it. I have no regret. Right. I, you know, I see my dad. He's so fucking happy with his car. Like, Got it. He's the happiest guy alive. I like. I like my car. My son likes his. And I would happily sell tomorrow, like a holiday. I'd happily take all my family on a great holiday. Yeah. Forget about that Bitcoin. That holiday could cost ten thousand in a year. It could have been worth a hundred thousand. And you know, so I don't care. Like I spend Bitcoin, and I'm happy about it. People need to get to that point because I've always looked back at that. That I've always looked back at that Target gift card or other things that you know, um, you know, you could use Bitcoin for back in the day, and always thought about what the cost of that was. But at the time, it was it brought a lot of happiness, you know, um, to me, to me and my mom. So okay, my most expensive purchases: buying drugs on the Silk Road. There you go. There you go. There you go. I spent. I mean, when I first used the Silk Road, it was about eighty. I'm pretty sure the first Bitcoin I bought on local Bitcoins was eighty pound. Okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, so you needed more than one Bitcoin because when you when you're buying cocaine when you're buying cocaine on the Silk Road, a good good gram of coke was about a hundred pounds. The best guy with the best reviews, and I, I bought a I bought a lot of fucking cocaine. Oh god, I, my, do you know what? The same. My dad never listens to my fucking podcast. Occasionally listens to one. It's always one when I'm talking about. It's going to be this one. Yeah, he's going to listen it's to this totally one. It's totally going to be this gonna, one. Fuck's sake, Pete. But like, so I mean, I've probably spent well over a million. On current price, okay. On, on drugs, right. <laughs> fucking Tim Tim Draper's got some of my Bitcoin. You know who bought the Silk Road yep, Bitcoin? Absolutely. Yeah, I the think, U.S. Marshals. Yeah. Well, I had Bitcoin on the Silk Road when it went down. So Tim Tim Draper, you've got three of my Bitcoin. Think about how Give far back, we've come since then. You yeah, know, that's been a long time. Uh, this is actually a good point in the podcast to say that we should free Ross Ulbricht. Um, so, yep. Yes. Let's get him Ross out of there. Ulbricht, let's, let's support Lynn. Yep. Um, but also wider than that, like let's free all 
non-violent criminals. It, this fucking week, there was a guy in the UK, right? He was, the headline was crypto trader uh, sentenced to 13 months in prison for stealing 32,000 pounds of electricity to mine Bitcoin. Okay. Okay. Firstly. What, that, there's a lot to unpack in that headline. There is. Yeah. Uh, so firstly, he committed a crime and he is a thief. I 100% agree with that. He is a thief. Is there any benefit to society or him putting that guy in prison? He's not violent. This wasn't a violent crime. This was just straight up theft. Is there a better way of treating him? Should he do community service? Should he clean shit off the streets or whatever? Should he, you know, is, can we serve society better? Why put that fucker in jail? Jail's going to be a horrible experience for him. It's going to be mentally damaging for him, for him speaking to anyone. I mean, Charlie Shrem did a long interview with Charlie Shrem about prison. It deeply affected him the two years he's in jail. You know, it, what's the benefit of society? I think none. So yes, I absolutely agree, free Russell Brick, but prison reform, let's release all nonviolent criminals. Fuck, just sorry, a big fuck you to the prison lobbyists, the, the prison industrial machine, which benefits from incarcerating people. Fuck them. Sorry, oh, I'm having a yeah. rant. There really do this. Fuck them. Let's get nonviolent. Let's keep violent people in jail. Sure, we don't want rapists and murderers and uh, uh, people who violently assault people on the streets. I'm, I think that's wrong, but do we want people who sell weed or any drugs for that matter? Do we want these people in jail? I don't agree with keeping nonviolent people in jail. I think there's a better way to serve society. And I think, uh, I think a Bitcoin standard solves this, fixes I, this. I think, I think you're right. It, 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 Fuck it, the lobbyists. Absolutely. Fucks the lobbyists. It reduces their power because they no longer now have the, the power over our politicians. Because as, you know, as we say, we de, uh, we're demonetizing the political class by using Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I mean, getting into the, that sort of topic, I, I don't have a super strong opinion about uh, prison reform. Uh, I'll just kind of I piggyback do. off you. Clearly. I'll piggyback off well, you. Well, I'll tell you why. Because I spent a lot of time with Lynn Albert. Okay. I've, you know, I've interviewed her four times. I saw her recently in Miami. Every time I see her, I, she is a... Uh, she is a an amazing person, a very strong woman who has uh, had to see her son be sentenced to have the rest of his life in jail. And she's done everything to free him. But she, out of this, she got a bigger purpose in life. And her purpose was prison reform. Right. Now she, she, by going to the prison to visit Ross, would see people. And it's a bigger problem in the US because you don't always get incarcerated where you committed a crime or where you live. You can be right. moved across the country. All over the place, yeah. It's a big fucking country. You know, if you could have been a crime in New York and they put you in a prison in Arizona, how do your family and your kids come and see you? And if you've not committed a violent crime, if you've been sold weed and you put a, that's going to cause long-term damage to you, your wife, and your kids. There is literally no benefit to anyone apart from the prison system which benefits financially from keeping people in jail. Right. Uh, I interviewed um, the Bitcoin vegan dude who spent some time in jail. That's coming out soon. And, you know, he talks about this. He talks about the, the essential slave labor within the prison. Oh, this, right. Gets paid like a fucking dollar a day to do work. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a problem that, I mean, it, it's a problem around the world, but, you know, the U.S. has definitely succumbed to it recently. It was, it's especially bad, it seems like, um, the, as you called it, the, the prison industrial complex mm. is uh, it's definitely around. And, and by, you know, by sw using, you know, using Bitcoin as the, as the standard for, um, you know, for our monetary system, we defund that, you know, that type of activity, that type of practice. It makes it harder and harder for that sort of thing to exist if Bitcoin is the, um, you know, is the backing for, for our financial system. Great. Well, let's defund this 
motherfuckers. Right, man, we we've got to uh, we've got to get that price in in a second. Yep. Uh, you broke my heart this morning, but it's my fault. Why is that? Because uh, you told me where we would have done this interview if I had come to Seattle. So people should know. Yes. People should know. Originally, I was going to come to Seattle. Yep. Uh, I overcommitted myself on travel, and I was fucked. And I was like. I'm going to go from Boston to Seattle to Nash- I was like, somebody's got to give. So I gave way on Seattle and I appreciate you coming yep. here. Um, but I gave way on Seattle, but you told me this morning. Yep. So um, I actually know uh, somebody that could have gotten us into the crocodile. The crocodile is the venue where Alice in Chains got famous. And actually the drummer is still a partial owner there. Is it a studio or is it a venue? It's actually a, uh, it's a, it's a venue. So it would be like a show venue. So we could have done it like on stage or something. Oh man. <laughs> we'll do another one. We'll do another one. If, if hash price hits, if hash price hits a dollar. Dude, we're going to do another one anyway for that. You've hooked me. Okay, but RIP Lane Staley is my absolute hero. Absolutely. Uh, love that guy. Love Alice in Chains. I think I've got three Alice in Chains tattoos. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so no, no. One, two, three, four Alice in Chains tattoos. Going to see the crocodile where, you know, that's where they started. That's where they came through. Oh, uh, the man. drummer still is a partial owner there. And uh, yeah, it would have been amazing. We could have done it on stage. We could have done it backstage. I don't know. But anyway, we could have made it happen. And you know what? I've got to get to Seattle. You uh, do? I, I just want to get to the Boeing factory because I'm a plane nerd. So, man, actually, I know, um, I actually know a GM at Boeing. You can come oh, and get you a, like the, the right. white glove tour. Tell you what I'm going to do. I am coming back to the US uh, next March. I'm going to do a whole month in Austin. I'm going to set okay. up a studio. There you go. And do all my interviews in Austin. I'm going to come out. I'll fly up to Seattle. Okay. I'll come there for three days first. We'll go to the Bowen factory. We'll go to the Crocodile. We'll record a follow-up. Let's and do then it. And I'll head down to Austin. Yeah, we'll see. Where, man, what do you think in March? Okay, let's put another bet out there. Another 50K sats. Under, over. Do, so I'm a miner. Let's talk about hash price. Okay. So hash price right now is about 40 cents. Okay. Um, do you think difficulty is going to increase or decrease? Let me think this through. I think it's going to... Well, it naturally has to increase. This, well... Unless I mean, the price drops. Unless the price... I mean, the price would have to drop to like 20K. So I think it's naturally going to increase. Okay. So is that going to outpace the price appreciation? That's the next question. Next question. Mm. So I, I think we go over 100k by the end of the year. Okay. I think we. So we. Do, I think we generally dump as ever, but I don't know how much we dump and I don't know how much we recover. So we double. So we're going to double price. Yeah. Are we going to double hash rate? Based on supply chain issues and infrastructure issues, I don't think we do. We do not. We do not. So we're going to see hash price increase. Okay. Um. So hash price is about 40 cents right now. Do you think price outpaces by 20%? So 50 cents? You give me an under you give me a fair under over and I'll pick I'll pick under over from it. So at 40 cents today. Yeah, what's your prediction what hash price will be? I think we might hit a dollar. Wow. Okay. I think might we might hit a dollar. But I'll take under on that. You'll take an under on a dollar? I'll take an under on a dollar. All right. Actually. Is that so? That's going to be on on March, or is it ever go, goes above a dollar? Um, it's the price when I land in Seattle and I see you. The moment we're first together, we'll check the price. The hash price. Okay. You can't ramp up your rates just to win the bet. <laughs> I do run the website, and so I could make sure <laughs> you could that it. it says a dollar. <laughs> okay, if you do that. Um, okay, let's, yeah, do, let's do that. Let's do a dollar. All right, another bet. Under. All right, Ooh, Pete. Pete, we need your help. What's the Bitcoin price? Sixty-one five. Damn. 
Look at you, a perma bear. Right. We're do, we're, we won't do it now. It's a double of quits now, aren't we? We're a double of quits for yeah. March. Yeah, okay. So March. 50,000 sats, Bitcoin so, standard. So it's going to be 100K sats next, uh, next March, probably coming your way. I, Potentially. We'll see. All right, well, listen, look. Great having you on. I really appreciate it. No, it's I appreciate really you, man. It was a great conversation. Tell people about Luxor, where they can find out more, why they should consider the measure pool. Yeah, certainly. So, um, yeah, US-based pool, we're going through all the things that you need to have, um, you know, to be, to be a compliant company. So we're doing a SOC 2 type 2, all the things that you need to have a, a secure, a secure um, technology platform. So that's one of the things that we do. We, we have a, you know, we have a great customer service arm that really uh, tries to give people a warm welcome to the ecosystem. Uh, and then we also provide a ton of data on top of everything that we do. So uh, we're a data-driven company. So if, you, you know, if you're looking for insight into your mining operation, Luxor's there for you. If you're looking for insight into the overall mining of the, ecos- you know, the, the ecosystem, uh, we got hash rate index, tons of data there as well, um, whether that's the rig prices, the, the hash price, um, whether that's the, you know, the value of individual rigs or overall like the 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 mix, um, you know, we have all sorts of products out there, and and yeah, so come check us out at Luxor. You can find me on Twitter hash underscore Bender. Um, it's a throwback to uh, it's a throwback to Airbender um, because we uh, are always bending hashes around, moving moving hash between different places, doing doing cool hash rate stuff. So okay. hash underscore Bender, Twitter, Telegram, um, yeah, Nick at Luxor.tech. If you don't like either of those. And another, I'd give a final shout out to Colin for helping me with everything and probably give a shout out to Compass as well. But look, appreciate you, man. I love this. It's great to meet you. And yep. we will do this again end of February in Seattle. Yep. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Peace out, brother. All right. What do you think of that one? I think mining has been a really standout Bitcoin news story this year. And with everything that's happened, I don't think anyone would have predicted that. So I really enjoyed going down the mining rabbit hole recently and getting back mining with Compass. So I'm going to be covering that a bit more. I'm probably going to get Wit from Compass on the show as well. I want to talk to him. I think mining is going to be a growing part of the conversation on what Bitcoin did. Also, if you haven't heard my two interviews with Harry Suddock, please go back and check those out. They were episodes 361 and 400. Love talking to Harry. Super smart. Anyway, thanks as ever for listening. If you've got any questions you want to get in touch, you can jump into my Telegram group or hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And if you want to support the show, I only ever ask one thing. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Go and leave me a review. Hopefully, you think the show deserves five stars. If you think it's shit and want to give it one star, no problem. I listen to all feedback. Anyway, have a great week, and I'll see you all soon.